and welcome to Dragon Bites Basics, the paediatric podcast aimed at healthcare students or anyone in need of a refresher about common paediatric conditions. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. Each week, medical students will be joining paediatric doctors from Wales to discuss these common paediatric conditions and give them insights into paediatric problems that they may not have faced before. These episodes are just introductions and aren't meant to replace your regular revision. Remember, there will be some regional variations in practice and practice will change as new evidence comes to light. However, this is paediatrics made easy to help students get their head around some new concepts. Our host for this week's episode is Georgia Parry, a final year medical student at Cardiff University. George is going to have a chat today with Dr. Blanche Lum, a paediatric registrar based at the University Hospital of Wales, and they're going to discuss leukaemia. Anyway, let's get started. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dragon Bites Basics podcast. I'm Georgia Parry, a medical student at Cardiff University, and I'm lucky to be joined by Dr Blanche Lum, who is a paediatric registrar in Wales with an interest in oncology. And Dr Lum has very kindly agreed to speak with us today about childhood leukaemia. So welcome, Dr Lum. Hi, Georgia. Thanks for having me back. So from what I understand, leukaemia is the most common malignancy affecting children. Can I ask which type of leukaemia are most commonly seen in this age group? Yeah, so um, it's the most common childhood cancer. So it's about 30% of all childhood cancers. And it's roughly split into <clears throat> ALL, so acute lymphoblastic leukaemia, and AML, which is acute myeloid leukaemia. Um, ALL is the most common, and that makes up about three quarters, 75% of cases. And AML is a bit rarer, um, about 25% of cases. And that's... Um, it's the other way around to what you see in adults. So in adults, ALL is the, is the less serious one and AML is the more serious one. Okay, thank you. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about um, ALL, please? Yeah, of course. So cast your mind back to medical school when you learn about blood stem cells um, and they obviously differentiate into lymphoid cells and myeloid cells. Um, so for lymphoblastic leukaemia, it's a blood stem cell that's differentiated into a lymphoid stem cell and into a lymphoblast. And then these can be T or B cells, but you don't always know which cell because it's quite an immature cell. Um, and then you get kind of a unchecked division of those blast cells. And those cells can divide and divide and divide. And then they just fill your marrow with blast. So they're non-functioning, immature blood cells um, which eventually, if you have enough of them, will go into your peripheral blood as well. And that's kind of what the lymphoblastic leukaemia is. Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, and do you have any information on the epidemiology of ALL? Yeah, so um, as I said, it's the most common childhood cancer, about 30% of all cancers. The peak incidence is about two to three years old, um, but it can affect any age. And about 50% of cases are under five, so it's more likely in younger children. Um, and it's more likely to affect boys than girls, so kind of a four to three ratio, so very slightly more affecting boys. Uh, the survival rate now is about 90%, so it's got a good survival rate. And actually, um, the most recent research is looking at changing the treatments because you're more likely to die of the treatment now rather than leukaemia. So they're looking at how they can change the treatment to make it less toxic. Um, the only other thing really is there's some genetic disorders which make you a little bit more 
high risk for developing leukemia and the main ones down syndrome there's a subset of leukemia that children with down syndrome are more likely to get okay thank you that was really interesting i didn't know about the uh, the the treatment aspect of what you just said yeah there's a trial called the all together trial if anyone's really interested just google it and you'll be able to find some information about the trial oh thank you so what should we look out for in these children when they first present um so it's really difficult because the symptoms are very non-specific and I think I like to think of it as your bone marrow is like your blood factory so it's your cells that produce your white cells your um hemoglobin in your red blood cells your platelets so the symptoms you get relate to when your marrow is so full of blasts that those cells can't function or can't be produced anymore so the symptoms you'll get is if you become anemic you can kind of be tired lethargic quite pale if you've got low platelets you might develop bruising have unusual bleeding so if you lose a tooth it might bleed for longer um and kind of get petechiae so that very fine rash that you can get when your platelets are low and then the other one is fevers so you don't have cells that can fight infection so these children suffer from frequent infections um and can suffer from more invasive infections so it's difficult because they're quite non-specific symptoms and and anyone who's done a paediatric placement would have seen lots of children with fevers and lots of children who are a bit pale um yeah yeah exactly everyone's done those shifts on CAU so what I would say it's about your index of suspicion you know are there other things going on have they lost weight are they not eating are they do they look unwell um but also like repetitions if you're seeing the same child lots of times with the same illnesses or fevers or looking pale or you saw them a month ago and they come back and they look more worn out more pale that kind of thing then you know you have to rely on your instincts a little bit okay thank you um and how should we investigate a child with suspected leukemia and then how do we actually confirm the diagnosis so the first line test is just an fbc so full blood count on peripheral blood um, and then ask for a blood film with that so that will tell you two things if the leukemia is so packed in the marrow that they have peripheral circulating blasts then you can see them on films so the film will say blast seen or something along those lines um, if it's earlier in the course of the illness and it their marrow is not quite packed enough for blasts to kind of squeeze out to peripheral blood you'll start to see effects on the output so like I said before your red blood cells your white blood cells your platelets so you might see a pancytopenia you might see none all of those being low but if you're earlier in the illness you might only have low platelets you might only have low hemoglobin so just because you've done the test once if the child comes back and you're still suspicious it doesn't mean that that one-off test is ruled out I think that's important um but yeah first line tests can do it in CAU or with older kids in a GP surgery, just do a full blood count and ask for a film. And then if that's suspicious, they'll be referred to a tertiary care centre and then they have a bone marrow aspirate um, for the definitive diagnosis. And that's done in children under general anaesthetics. They go to sleep and you take a sample directly from the bone and that goes off for lots of tests looking at a film as well to see if they can see blasts. But also if they see blasts, they have cytogenetics and immunophenotyping just to help manage the risk of their leukaemia. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, And then once you've made this diagnosis, what are the treatment options? Yeah, so the mainstay is chemotherapy. 
And as I said before, it's initially very, very intense and, and the children are very high risk for infections because they'll have no functioning bone marrow. Um, and the idea is to kill off all those blast cells. And, and it takes about eight weeks of induction and they can be in hospital for, for a chunk of that eight weeks. Um, and they'll also require things like central lines to give the chemotherapy. So that all contributes to their time in hospital. And then after you complete your induction phase you go into consolidation and intensification which is still fairly intense um, just to treat any minimal residual disease that we can't necessarily see but might still be there Um, and then they'll have maintenance chemotherapy which is more outpatient based um, oral chemotherapy and that treatment um, can last totally it lasts for two to three years it's slightly longer for boys because there's a risk of there being um, leukemia in the testicular tissue that just um, you have to make sure you're clear so the boys have slightly longer treatment and then alongside that they have a CNS treatment so they'll have intrathecal chemotherapy um, that they'll come in to hospital when they're younger again they have it under general anaesthetic and they'll have a lumbar puncture and chemotherapy given directly into the CSF that's a very dangerous procedure and is worth having a quick look on YouTube, there's a video called, I think it's called Just Another Day, um, and it just looks at the risks and how mistakes can happen, and if you give the wrong chemotherapy, intrathecally you can kill. I think there are a few children who died and adults who've died, so it's um, quite a good example for the Swiss cheese model of um, human error, I can't remember what it's called, so it's worth having a look at that. Um, and then they rarely need radiotherapy, it tends to be CNS or testicular if they do need radiotherapy but I've never seen anyone with leukemia have radiotherapy in my short career. Oh thank you that's really helpful and thank you for raising that point as well. Um, So what's the prognosis of uh, leukemia and are there any risk factors which might influence that prognosis? I know you've mentioned a little bit already about um, about males but is there anything else? Yeah so the survival's good or better now so it's over 90 percent Obviously, we always want it to be as high as possible so they don't stop researching to get it better, but 90% is pretty good. Um, And then it kind of depends on what cells. So are they B cells or are they T cells? And there's two slightly different protocols depending on if we know if they're B cells or T cells. We don't always know. Um, The age of child, so if they're very young or they're older, they are higher risk. So those children tend to have more... um, intensive chemotherapy then I mentioned a bit about immunophenotyping and cytogenetics are some genetics associated with higher risk and the one people have probably heard about is the Philadelphia chromosome so in ALL that's associated with higher risk so those patients have slightly more treatment as well Um, and then we look at how quickly they respond so they'll have bone marrows throughout the beginning of their treatment and if they have a good response at the beginning and things like that so they respond quite well when they finish induction they'll go on if they don't respond as well they might have more chemotherapy before they go on to kind of the consolidation phase just to make sure the bone marrow is clear oh thank you um and i know this is probably quite a difficult question but if you could maybe summarize what we've talked about in this podcast do you have any key take-home messages for us as medical students i really i had to think about this because i know you asked me this before um I think my main take home for all childhood cancers is they are rare. You know, people, parents especially really worry about cancers, but they genuinely are very rare. Um, but if you don't think about it, you'll never diagnose it. So 
if you know just have that thought in the back of my mind oh, I've seen this child a couple of times they're looking a bit pale or that doesn't quite fit with a normal history of a viral illness that kind of thing you know a blood test isn't very nice but it is a simple test you can do and it, it will help you rule it out but like I said before just be aware that one-off testing isn't a be-all and end-all if, if that child keeps coming back you might need to repeat the tests yeah okay thank you that's really helpful um, do you have any resources that you recommend to us if we'd like to read more about leukaemia in children? I know you've mentioned a couple already, but if, if there's any others you have. Yeah, so the main one's probably the Childhood Cancer and Leukaemia Group. So that's the UK-based um, group that does all of the kind of guidelines um, for treatment of cancers and leukaemias in the UK. And I'd probably start there. And they've got great resources. They've got stuff for like doctors and more detailed treatment Kind of protocols they've got stuff aimed at parents so if parents ever ask you for information that's where you can sign and post them to they also do books and stuff for kids like i think there's one called tom's got lymphoma and sally's got a brain tumor and stuff and they're aimed at children of different reading ages so they can read about their condition as well so they're a great resource so i'd start there oh fantastic thank you um, well, thank you so much for taking us through that sensitive and, and really important topic. I definitely had the easy job from my side asking all of the questions. Um, so, all right, that's everything. Is there anything else that you want to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. Thank you for having me back. I think we've covered it all. Thank you so much and uh, thanks for listening. And I just wanted to say thank you to both Georgia and Blanche for recording that episode for us. Join us again next week for another episode of Dragon Bites.